Hey, what's up, everyone? Dave here. Welcome to episode 63 of the Pocket Mastermind podcast. On today's episode, I am talking to Rachel Allen from Bolt from the Blue Copywriting about her accidental journey into entrepreneurialism, the art and science of copywriting, and how to avoid common mistakes so that you can communicate effectively with your audience. Remember, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your friends and hit the subscribe button so you get notified of future episodes. And you can now also support me via Patreon by going to patreon.podbean.com forward slash pocket mastermind and 100% of the support raised goes back into the production of the podcast and educational materials to help other people lead extraordinary lives. So with that, let's get on with the episode. Have you ever questioned why it is that some people seem to have everything they could ever wish for? Health, wealth, love and happiness, but others seem to lack all of these things. Why is it the small minority manage to achieve greatness, but the vast majority fail to reach even beyond mediocrity? What are this small minority doing differently to everybody else? It can't just be down to circumstance, billionaires rise out of poverty. Those questions have been in my head my whole life. And a couple of years ago, I decided to stop wondering and start searching for the answers so that I could help more people achieve greatness in their own lives. So join me and follow along as I uncover the secrets of the minority that the majority aren't taught so that you can apply them to your own life to achieve your own greatness and live the life you want and deserve. My name is David Bell and welcome to Pocket Mastermind. Rachel, welcome to Pocket Mastermind. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm good. I'm very excited to be chatting with you and uh, enjoying a lovely sunny day here in Texas. <laughs> Rub it in. <laughs> it's, it's not sunny. I know, here, right? <laughs> it's, it's currently dark and raining. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, so <laughs> definitely not sunny in the UK. <laughs> um, so. You know what we're going to talk about today is we're going to come on to you run a you run a business uh, a copywriting business or or should I say a business that specialises in copywriting. But before we get to that bit, because I think it's very 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 interesting, um, part of this you know pocket mastermind is all about people breaking free of the the nine to five and going on their own and and seeking kind of time freedom, financial freedom, that kind of stuff. And you've been on your own journey with that, and it'd be good to learn a bit more about where you've come from and, and the path you've taken and then we'll talk a bit more about the copywriting stuff. Absolutely. So I fell into copywriting completely backwards. I didn't actually know what it was until the day I started doing it. <laughs> That's pretty um, interesting. I know. <laughs> I know. It, it made for a lot of confidence right at the beginning, I can tell you, but um, <laughs> so... <laughs> I went to school for uh, journalism and Asian studies. The plan was to work for The Economist in Hong Kong. That was my, my big dream. And I did everything right. I interned at NPR. I did all the stuff. And then I graduated in 2008 and nobody was hiring. Uh, and they were particularly not hiring li liberal arts majors in Tennessee and North Carolina, which is where I was. <laughs> no. So I uh, sent out 200 resumes and I got zero responses back. And the only job I could get was unpacking boxes uh, in a warehouse for Old Navy on the 6 a.m. shift. Ouch. So, yeah. And I, you know, I was doing that, me and a bunch, <laughs> all the other liberal arts majors <laughs> unpacking boxes. And I stuck it out for about six months and thought, you know, this is, this is not for me. And the answer in my 22 year old brain was, well, I studied abroad in Hong Kong and they must have jobs there, right? It's on the other side of the world. So I got on a plane and I went, but oh, wow. I didn't think of, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't think about things like, you know, work visas or savings oh. because, you know, 22. And uh, I landed with about $200 in my bank account and had to make rent. 
And so I'm sitting there like Googling, like how to make money online. Cause you know, again, this is 2008 people. It was sort of the early days of internet marketing. And so I'm like, you know, Googling like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then I see this thing called copywriting and it was a freelance gig. And I was like, I don't know, you could probably do that. So I signed up for it. Um, got the job. It paid $3.25. So, you know, I was clearly living that hashtag boss lady lifestyle from the beginning. <laughs> but, but it was a blast. Like I really enjoyed it. It was um, a lot of fun. And then I ended up uh, thinking, well, gosh, you know, I could, I could totally do this for, you know, the, for my, my interim, you know, air quotes, interim job until I get back into my for realsies grown up job stuff. Um, so I start doing this and at the time I was working for content mills, which super dates me because those aren't even a thing anymore. Um, but my job was to come up with the meta descriptions that go under the Google descriptions, you know, like oh, the little yeah, paragraph. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Um, so they paid me 65 cents a meta description and I got to where I could do uh, 300 of those in two hours. So that sort of, wow. that gave me a baseline. Yeah. They're super easy and super boring though. So I was like, all right, if I can, I can work those two hours and kind of like have my baseline needs taken care of. So what do I really want to do with this? And then I was like, I don't know, like, I guess I should make like a business or something out of it because clearly super directed. <laughs> and I started doing that. Um, and then I, you know, I started uh, having success with it, very much enjoying it. But then it led me to this very strange place where I was actually living, you know, the dream entrepreneur lifestyle. I was living on an island in Greece at the time. I would work in the mornings and sunbathe on the beach all afternoon. And I mean, that's that's the goal, right? Yeah, it sounds sounds oh. rough. <laughs> oh, it was the worst. It was terrible. <laughs> Except <laughs> I was having anxiety attacks all the time. And I was like, but I, I won the game. What's going on? And it, I had gotten to this point where it, I had been out of the traditional job market for just long enough to where it was going to be weird if I tried to go back in. Mm -hmm. And so this was like this moment of, uh, do I want to commit to entrepreneurship as a thing? Am I really a business person? Because I mean, this is like four years into business by now. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just doing this like just until the, hobby, the real yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I finally did. I, uh, I did a master's degree along the way just to make sure that I really actually didn't want to do the real, the real traditional grown up thing. And um, so I have this delightful master's degree that I don't use for anything whatsoever, but uh, I, I ended think, up I don't think up... you're alone in that field, to be honest. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a lot of people <laughs> in the masters that don't use them. Right. I think it's totally a rite of passage. Yeah. Um, the thing, the thing that I did take out of that though, I was like, cause the way I decided to do it, I was like, I'm going to do my master's degree in London. And then the same year I'm going to like really commit to growing my businesses because those are two things you definitely want to do at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you could, probably could have, you probably could have done the growing the business while you're on the beach would have been a better option. Yeah, I know that would have made so much more sense. Yeah. It would have at least been a lot funnier. Um, <laughs> But I didn't, and I ended up doing it that way. And uh, I came out of the of the program realizing that while I really like academics and I like being around them, I don't want to be one. And I committed to the business thing full time, and I've grown it from there. Amazing! It's it's, it's an interesting story to you, you know. Some people grow up and they think I just I always want I always want to be an entrepreneur of some sort, even if they don't really know what that is. You know, they're just naturally mm -hmm. going down that route. And then many other people fall into it accidentally and and you know i think there's a as you were talking about your experience then of of leaving college university in 2008 there's a lot of people now in a very mm -hmm. going to be in a very similar position um you know the coming into this year people who left who graduated this year and next year and possibly even the year after it's going to be quite a different environment than it's been for the the 10 years prior so mm -hmm. and and now you know internet marketing is quite a big thing and working online is 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 more of a more of a thing but if anything it's probably noisier than it was when you had to do it right it's kind of now you type in make money online and you're bombarded with all sorts of people trying to sell you something oh yeah yeah one of my favorite um stats that i constantly throw out at people is uh, i read a study where they say people are exposed to up uh, over 100,000 words a day. And most of those boil down to buy my thing in one way or another. So yeah, it's incredibly noisy. 
everything everything is a sales message now isn't it even social media mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you go you buy i had this conversation with somebody recently you know and you buy a book these days the book is only the beginning of the funnel there's not most half the time there's not that much information in most of the books it's it's just a way to get you to go and then buy something else so yeah it's it's a it's a it's a tricky world to navigate what would you say was kind of as you went along through that experience what were some of the the highs and what were some of the challenges that you went along there and what have you taken from from those those early experiences to into building the business to where where you are now mm, oh that's such a good question um highs definitely include getting that first payment and I know, I know I joke about it and it is a ridiculously low amount of money paid for doing anything but um having that connection made for me of wait I can write words I can take stuff out of my head and type it into the the computer and then someone will give me money for it was such a like oh like the value of that work was an incredible thing for me. And I, I feel like I brought that forward in my own work because I have a team under me. I love nurturing writers who are just getting into this space. Mm-hmm. And one thing I made a commitment to at the beginning was that I was always going to pay very well for their services because I've been, you know, like, like I was saying, I've done these, you know, 65 cent a meta description things. And I was like, you know what, that's a bullshit way to work. Like we should pay people for their value and for the brain that they bring to the table. So um, that's a that's a huge part of the ethos, I think, of how I run my business today. It's no, yeah, because I think it's very easy to commoditize that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like you said, doing chucking out 300 of these, whatever, every every couple of hours. And, you know, that's, you know, it's, a, it's like factory, you, you become a machine, yeah. <laughs> just churning, churning work out. And, you know, it's, it, it is commoditizing creativity. So how do you, how do you tend to work more now? Uh, now I'm in the really, so like both lucky and been working for it for like five years position of, uh, I have this fantastic team under me. They do a lot of the sort of day-to-day copy and content work for our clients. And then I do uh, sort of the bigger thinking strategy, consulting, retainer type stuff. So um, for instance, I had the super enjoyable experience of popping the hood on one of my clients' content infrastructure because they have this massive, very successful business. Mm -hmm. And on the one side, they've got a bunch of opt-ins and a bunch of ways for people to connect with them. On the other side, they have a bunch of products and services and somehow that is all working together, but nobody really knows how because they grew so fast. So <laughs> I got to go in and actually draw the paths from inputs to outputs. And um, it sounds super boring, but it was actually awesome because I had all these like giant post-it notes up on my porch and I'm like standing outside, like scribbling all over it with Sharpies. The neighbors are looking at me like, oh yes, that's that girl who works for the internet. And I was like, yep, <laughs> that's me. No, something that I was seeing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, um, yeah, I do a lot of sort of the, the voice work, the messaging work, um, and helping people see sort of the bigger picture of how their copy and content plays into their businesses as an asset, because everybody knows you need it, right? Like everybody's like, yes, we must, we must do email marketing. We must do blah, 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 blah. But people don't think about where it's actually going. And I constantly tell my clients, your words are an asset. You need a return on the investment of time and money you spend on getting them out there. Like they need to pay off in dollars. So I love helping people make that connection. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk a bit about copywriting because this might sound like a stupid question, but I think a lot of people, not everyone is, you know, in the world of, 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 of copywriting or business right. or anything else like that. So define copywriting. Mm. Copywriting is the art and science of leveraging your language to make people do something, usually in a business context. Nice. That's not the first time you've said that, is it? (laughs) (laughs) No, I pulled it directly from my bio. Um, (laughs) I love it. But what that looks like, what that looks like is web pages, social media, blog posts, white papers, um, anything, any words you see on the internet chances are they either can or they have been copywritten hopefully not always and i think you can definitely yeah. tell the difference and i i think 
copywriting for me I, as a recipient now of I, I deliberately enter funnels to see what the the, yeah. the process is going to be like because I used to just delete the emails and then you realize actually you can learn quite a lot from filing those emails and looking at the looking at the the way in which they're written what are they trying oh, to do it's, it, it becomes really it becomes dark you know kind of boring for many people but interesting to some of us i suppose um <laughs> but i think that you know i think you talk about on your your website and give this analogy that we that just demonstrates how the disconnect between what's in our own head and what's in other people's head and how mm. using copy to get that across and you use the the, the analogy of tapping the happy birthday song on the table so share that with us exactly yeah so this is a study that was done um and it was never actually former formally published in a peer-reviewed journal but i went and i found the doctoral data on it because you know power nerd and uh it was this study that this woman did where she wanted to see um basically our perceptions of how good we are at transferring data from our heads to other people and the way the game works is you sit at a table, you have a partner, and you have a song in your head. Your partner does not know the song, but it's something everybody would know, like the happy birthday song. You then tap that song out on the table, you know, like, and you have that song going in your head, right? So you know what's going on. It would seem like the most obvious thing in the entire world, but the other person most likely will not be able to get it. Like they won't guess what song it is, even when it's staggeringly obvious to you. And that's so weird, right? It's amazing. But that, you can kind of, I guess it's you're hearing an awful lot more than just the tapping on the table, aren't you? Exactly. You have it already in your head. And so it seems like the most obvious thing in the entire world to you. And it's like, how are these people not getting it? And that is the exact same thing with copy. You know what you want to say you know why it's important, you know why somebody should work with you or buy your thing or care about the idea that you're trying to spread, but it's so in your head that unless you have the right words to act as a bridge to get that across to the other person, they're not gonna get it. And it's not because they don't care about you or people are mean, because I see this, uh, this is one of my pet peeves, I'm gonna jump up on my soapbox. People, <laughs> um, <laughs> most marketing people, particularly of the more sort of dude bro marketing persuasion, set up an adversarial relationship between you and your audience. And the way that that relationship is set up in their world is you have something you want them to do, they're over there and they don't really care about you because they're like super mean and dumb and, rah, rah, rah. Mm -hmm. and you have to get their attention any way you can and trick them into doing it. No, 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 no. That's so wrong because from a neuroscience standpoint, it's not that people are trying to ignore you. It's that people are overwhelmed. They're saturated with information and we are already biologically wired to not get it in that particular way to begin with. So what I do instead is a cooperative and collaborative form of copywriting where, um, and this is me jumping off on another one of my favorite soapboxes, but I got really interested a couple of years ago in what made copywriting effective because I knew I could do it. I knew I could spot it, had no idea the mechanism by which it worked. So I did this massive uh, seven-year qualitative analysis of all of our pro uh, products and our successful clients. And I looked at all of these factors and tried to figure out, okay, like what made this work and that not work? And what I found was that it came down always to the same four steps. You do these four steps in order and then repeat them. And that is successful writing over and over again. And what they are is you get clear on the message, you inflect that message in such a way that your audience can understand it. You filter that through a clear strategy that leads to a result you want, because again, words are an asset, and then you execute on that well. So the way that all of that ties back into this is you don't need an adversarial relationship. You just need to be able to inflect what you are saying in a way that works with the biology and humanity of the people trying to hear it. And that's why I often tell my clients, you don't have to be loud. You just have to be heard. Yeah, I think that's it's true. I, I, and we've gone through a period of a lot of kind of clickbaity type marketing, mm. right? And and I think that's starting. Thankfully, I think gradually they're starting to wear off because it, the techniques start to dry up. You know, you, the same mm -hmm. as you see certain kind of social post formats come and go 
uh, they you know because they they're effective to begin with because they interrupt in the in the social feed and then suddenly everyone's doing it and they don't interrupt anymore. Mm-hmm. What, those four steps is is there a way of illustrating um that in a, in a kind of an example um you know is there a, a way of a bad way to communicate that you could you could illustrate versus a a more structured a, a more um a more effective way of doing things absolutely so a bad way to communicate is to take any one of those steps out of context or ignore them So let's say um, you'll often see people, uh, one of the reasons sales copy falls down all the time is that people get very clear on their message, but they only think about it from their own perspective. They don't think about what their audience needs to hear. So um, we see this, oh, coaches are so bad for this. And I love coaches, but I really want them to fix this in their copy Mm -hmm. because they will go to something like, you know, you're looking for empowerment and to uh, reclaim your own agency which is probably very, very true. And a coach can absolutely help you do that. But nobody wakes up at four in the morning being like, you know what, if only I could empower myself to reclaim my agency, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, One like hook that I use to to get this point into people's brains, it actually comes from David uh, Hyatt of the Hyatt Jeans Company and also founder of the Do Lectures, which are phenomenal. Um, he has this wonderful post that says something along the lines of nobody goes to sleep at night in dreams of high quality. (laughs) And that is exactly true. So that would be one example of bad communication. Um, the other place people fall down is strategy. They don't think it through. They, they get so into a tizzy of like, I need to be talking. And if I don't publish every day, then the internet's going to forget I exist. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they don't think about it with a bigger strategic thing. And that's such a waste of time and energy because it's better to be quiet and to not say anything than to just spend a bunch of time, energy, and money just talking for no purpose. Like that's just a waste of everyone's time. Yeah, I think you, people get sucked into this, the talk about the algorithms and you've got to be posting, mm. and you've got to be doing this and you've got to be doing that. And one of the things I think I've started to learn as I, I'm, you know, as I've been embarking on this journey myself over the course of this year, having knowing nothing when i started right I, I i left the corporate world and thought i'll tell you what to do i start a website and you do this and you do that it doesn't work the way it doesn't work the way <laughs> i thought it did and it's been quite an and an, really interesting and fairly slow journey throughout the year as i've been learning more and more skills and, and you get lots of people give you advice around yeah you've got to do this and you've got to do that and actually what i found most of the time with social in particular is you just got to have a you've got to be trying to deliver something for a per, for a point and then the algorithm will work either way like it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to ha- be quite as strict as people oh you know you've got to have this many hashtags and you can't put a link and you've got to do this and oh, yeah. actually it's you can you none of that really makes if you look and look at the, you know some of the the content that's prolific in your feed a lot of those people are breaking all of the so-called rules but they're still appearing mm-hmm. in your feed all the time because they're delivering stuff that you are pausing on or clicking on and so it keeps coming back whether they abide by the so-called rules or not mm-hmm. i would absolutely encourage people to think of content more as a conversation mm-hmm. than all of this sort of stuff and because it's a relationship with your people and another thing i often tell my clients is you know everybody will say oh there's a hack for this and there's a hack for that and you must mm-hmm. do 17 hashtags and you know a link of this blah 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 and i'm like yeah okay you know hacks work but as you pointed out earlier they have a short half-life because people everybody starts using them and then they get oversaturated so the long slow terrible but ultimately way more effective way is to look at it as a conversation and you can't hack a conversation you just have a conversation i think the the word hack is it drives me up the wall a bit because everything has become a hack like we'd, why are we looking mm-hmm. for the shortcut for everything <laughs> why can't when, yeah. when did this happen to the to human beings it obviously been around for decades if not centuries we're always looking for the easy way that's it's the human condition i suppose but the you know hacking is fine until like you say that hack stops working or you know lots of people talk about you know when google first ever changed it's kind of out his ad algorithm back in the mid 2000s mm. and so many people suddenly would lost their business was at sea because they were relying on one particular method and, and those methods always change 
whereas if you know if you can the thing i've been learning really is consistency seems to be more beneficial than trying to rush and 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 create some kind of cheat method Mm -hmm. yeah consistency and humanity will beat hacks every single time (laughs) it's good to know that that's still the (laughs) still the case Uh, humanity has still has a place can you imagine (laughs) so when you talked about the the the, the bad examples there Mm. translate that into a positive way of doing of of delivering the same message Sure. So the positive way of doing that would be to start with your message. You know what you want to say. Um, I'll just take my own website as an example. Uh, Our tagline is your words are your work, because that's what we believe. We believe that the way the world works, you have these ideas in your head, you have tangible change that you want to cause with those ideas. Words are the bridge that make that happen. And if you don't have the right words, that work is not going to happen. So hence, your words are your work. Now, how I originally had that in my head was something like this super long theory of like energy and physics and matter and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's awesome. And I have that shorthand for that idea in my head, but I knew that if I stood up and tried to say to the internet, okay, so here's the deal, you know, physics and matter, right? So our energy and matter, that's just (laughs) physics. Now, if we think about it, like ineffective, right? And also very ungracious. It's not a nice way to have a conversation with someone. And by nice, I mean, I'm not taking care of the other person that I'm talking to. That's just me monologuing my stuff at them. And you know, that's no one enjoys that. And it's ineffective. So instead I thought, okay, I know my people. I know who I'm talking to. I know what they worry about is their businesses being on mute, which that translates into, I can't have the impact or income that I want to have. So how do you get the impact or income you want to have? Okay, well, that's through your work. And that's why I inflected that idea of your words are your work. So it's taking the concept, inflecting it for the audience. Then I thought, and this is how it plays into the next step, which is strategy. Okay, well, what do I want them to do for, from that? Well, I want them to hire me because I want to give them the words that make their work exist and tangible and have effects. So how do I need to make that happen? Well, I think about my audience again. The gap between them where they are and them hiring me is they don't really understand why they need me. They don't understand why there's a gap between their ideas and their words to begin with. Enter the happy birthday song example. So you can kind of see how I move from step to step, but it's always human centered as we go along. It's problem you coming at it from where, what, what is the, what's their challenge and, and how do you bridge that gap between where they are, mm-hmm. where they currently are, to where you need them to be and where they also need to be. Mm-hmm. And it's making it to where I, I have no interest in grabbing somebody's attention or making them do something they don't want to do. I want them to want to do what I want them to do, which is the next level and um, manipulative, but in a positive way of, look, I can help you. I'm going to get you there to where you can see that. And then you are going to want to do whatever it is I'm asking you to do because you can see it's in your best interest to begin with. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the important part. Is it the same, the same is true in, 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 in many areas within sales in general, the, the whole the purpose of a of a good salesperson is to understand what that customer's needs are and then fit the product to that rather than kind of manipulate the customer into suddenly wanting this product that's no good for them exactly and that's and i suppose that's if we translate that then the you know the role of the role of good copy is effectively speaking in the language in and the words that are already in that in the, the prospect's mind um, at that moment in time. Is that, mm-hmm. is that fair? Yeah, exactly. That's why um, I always encourage people to get back to that, that 4 a.m. language, going back to the example of how coaches often kind of fall down on this. And I don't mean to pick on them. Other industries have their own thing, but um, coaches will often do this. Of They don't think in that language of like, okay, what is your person waking up? Yeah, yeah. yeah coaching's a fixing industry, you see. And, uh, you know, I do coaching and we want to fix people, but we kind of get to rush to the point sometimes <laughs> to kind of uh, try to put people back together <laughs> rather rather than rather than understanding the, the, the challenge in the first place. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so if you can figure out, you know, what they're waking up thinking about, um, you know, for instance, I, I worked with a coach who helped people get more, um, feel more sense of purpose in their jobs and in their lives. And so one of the lines of copy we came up with for her was, um, you're ready to work with me if your Sunday afternoon blues start on Friday night, hmm. you know? And that's a very visceral, like, you know, that feeling when you're in a job you hate, and you're just like, oh my God, it's Friday. And I'm already bummed out because I have to do this on Monday again. It's getting to those kinds of feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very powerful to be able to um, plant the picture in in somebody's mind. And I think quite often, it, you know, bad copy doesn't do that at all. It, it pushes you away. And actually, great examples are being able to, you know, take people through a sensory experience in a, in, in a single sentence is definitely an art form. Mm -hmm. and lots of fun so i always encourage people <laughs> to have fun with it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's definitely something <laughs> worth and uh, you know i it's also worth you know for any for business owners out there entrepreneurs whatever you it's worth understanding and learning a bit about the psychology behind uh copywriting because even though you may not be doing it yourself understanding what good looks like i i believe that leadership within any business should really understand what good looks like within most functions of the organization but particularly when it comes to getting your your brand message across or your product across to your your intended customer your ideal customer because if, if you don't understand that then when someone does a bad job you just say well it's copy it's words on a page and and then wonder why the product isn't selling and this, the product might be really good good copy can sell bad products but bad copy doesn't always sell good products right mm -hmm. absolutely and along those lines even if you're a business owner who never does a line of copy in your life as a human you can you can't help but benefit from learning how to express your ideas in such a way that makes people do what you want. I mean, as a as a business owner and you know somebody who runs a team myself, that's a huge part of my job is being like, hey, you do this thing. And I could just say because I said so or because I pay you, but I mean, come on, like nobody wants to work like that. <laughs> exactly. So being able to communicate to them in such a way of like, here's how we care, here's why you want to do this. Everybody can benefit from that skill. And so where where's where where are you heading? now with the business you you've been going for how long since vault from the blues been properly up and running we are coming up on our 11 year anniversary wow. which is insane to me yeah um so we uh we're coming up on that uh what's next is we've just launched a new package called done for you content and the way it works is that people give us 45 minutes of their time and then six months of content just happens and um, that's monthly blog posts emails social media and graphics all scheduled in and taken care of by my team which is very exciting yeah that's, that's um and people seem yeah, people seem to be super into it. Uh, so that's where we're putting a lot of our focus right now is onboarding those people and getting that going. Um, and, and I love that so much because it's part of a move that we're making more generally to make copywriting and content more accessible to people because it can definitely add up. And if you're a business owner that's sort of in a wonky period, which many of us have been this year because 2020 is the worst, um, I, I really genuinely believe in the power of words and making them accessible to everyone. And so that's why I was like, well, if we do this package, which is way cheaper than you would expect, it's only $500 a month for all of your content to be taken care of for six months. Many people um, can afford that in the small business world. And it allows you to access that power and leverage your language to get the results you want. And we compare that to trying to hire even one person, right? It's, it's exceptionally well you know good value for money to get all of that to get the consistency of the mm -hmm. message as well um that's the that's the important part you could hire yes. one person to do this and hi hire one person to do that and you but you spend considerably more on potentially uh lesser skill sets and also not necessarily having a very joined up um message because you've got different people maybe with you know different abilities and, and different experiences writing in their own 
kind of in their own tone of voice, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And if you're anything like me, you or how I used to be before my OBM was like, dude, you have got to get out of the way. Um, I would bottleneck this process for our own content for forever. And I know a lot of business owners do that as well, because you have to manage it and you have to come up with the ideas and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's really hard to get out of your own way. But having a cohesive team that can take care of it all for you, I find makes that easier for people. Yeah, definitely. Who do you th who would you say has been an inspiration to you as you've gone along on your journey? Oh, so many people. One thing I committed to early on in business was I was going to surround myself with the smartest, most generous people I could find and then listen to them and do what they said. And that's worked out super well. Um, people that I owe so much of my entrepreneurial legacy to are Ilana Burke. Uh, I've done business coaching with her for years and now we're, we're business friends. We do a lot of um, work back and forth together. She runs Your Life's Workshop. Um, I also do a lot of work with Liz Scully, who's a business strategist, um, but she focuses primarily on masterminds and curating experiences for small groups, which is something that's been mind blowing for me. Uh, who else am I inspired by? Um, Heather Thorkelson of uh, the No Plan B. She just had a book um, come out called No Plan B. And the way that she incorporates humanity and mindset into business thinking is so inspirational to me. Um, and now I'm going off on like a fangirl tangent on all of the people. But yeah, I've been I've been inspired and so fortunate to connect with so many amazing people. Well, on that subject, what kind of what else has been really helpful to you as a as an entrepreneur kind of running a business by yourself and like you touched on their kind of like the masterminds type thing how what what have you kind of benefited from from joining those kind of those groups and those kind of like network would you call them networking type groups mm. Yeah, so with masterminding, so I've joined, I've been a part of masterminds for a couple of years, and then I've also um, developed a really strong business network, and I get something slightly different out of both of those, mm -hmm. um, though there is some overlap. So with masterminding, it's a bit like being able to outsource parts of your brain to other parts <laughs> of very smart brains. So um, a good mastermind group, which I've been very fortunate to be a part of, will have people with complementary skills and industries to your own. So we bring a problem, you know, I bring whatever's on my mind and then I'm able to get input from three other people in different industries than mine with different perspectives. So they see other things that I'm not seeing. Um, with networking, I can pull on them for resources. Um, that's the fantastic place to be like, hey, I'm having this problem. Does anybody have a system slash template slash recommendation for this type of thing? And it's also fantastic for amplifying and being amplified. So I love, I, I firmly, firmly believe a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, and I am dropping the name of the person who always says that. Her first name is Natalie. I will think of it in a minute. But um, yeah, I firmly believe in that. And so just having the ability to both bring up people around me and then benefit from other people bringing me up and amplifying my ideas has been phenomenal. Have you always been quite naturally open to asking for help and guidance or is that something you've developed as well mm, um i think i've always i've always been a researcher so i have always devoured books i have um these two giant like six foot by five foot bookshelves that are completely filled with books and i need my husband to make me some more um because he makes my bookshelves but i've always been a resource person and then I, um, when I first got into business, I had this idea sort of fostered by the small business community um, at the time, which was like, you need to act like you know everything, like you're the best at everything. You never have any questions for anybody because you're the hottest thing out there. And that's the worst. It's a terrible way to do anything because nobody is actually like that. And all that does is isolate us from ourselves, from each other. So I did have to go through this period um, of being like, look, I maybe I'm the only person on the planet. Maybe I'm the only entrepreneur who doesn't know the answer to this question, but here you go. 
here it is. And then once you bring up one question, then everybody else is like, oh, thank God. Actually, I don't know this. Can you help me with that? And so now I've gone full spectrum to the other end where I'm like, look, I don't know. I know my thing really, really, really well. And I have neither the time, energy, or inclination to go learn other people's things. So I will ask the dumbest possible question because I want to get the answer fast. I don't want to have to spend the time going down the rabbit hole myself. And I don't care if I look like an idiot asking it. I'm like, just tell me, dude, then, I, then we can move on. Yeah. And also go off to try and find your, your own answers. Sometimes is another thing that I've learned. You can try and try and do it all yourself is you, there's a million paths you could take and there's a lot of different opinions and you're better off trying to find mm -hmm. my experience has definitely been trying to find people who know somebody who you can get some kind of recommendation as to their credentials and their their knowledge in a particular area and then go pick their brains because you could read you could read 50 books on the same subjects and have 50 different takes on it and then feel then you're then you're spoiled for choice the paradox of choice kicks in and oh, you don't yeah. know which way to go oh absolutely and that's one thing i think is so great about the way the online industry is right now is that there are specialists in everything yeah. i'm having a meeting next week with um this guy who specializes in notion which is an online sort of organize your universe program that I've fallen completely in love with. And I know it can do so much more than I want it to do, but I absolutely cannot figure out how to make it do what I want. And so I asked around and I was like, this is crazy because this is a super niche thing, but who does Notion? And lo and behold, there's this wonderful guy who's hopping on a call with me next week to help out. So like you can find the answer with any, for anything, just look for the human who's really good at it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. There are lots of, uh, there are lots of people who become experts at the most random of things that you wouldn't expect and 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 they're looking to help people and like you say you can you can do a google search and find mm -hmm. anybody who knows something about everything i, I don't think there's anything that does, <laughs> there isn't somebody that doesn't know no information about it what does um mm -hmm. and many times they will be very generous with sharing oh i'm sorry i don't mean to talk exactly. about no you carry on no no it's fine yeah, it's true. I think most people do, they want to share their their knowledge and their information. It, it, you know, it makes us feel good if we can, if we know something and we can help people. Mm -hmm. So before we wrap up here, just got a couple, couple of quick questions for you. What does, what does the word success mean to you? Because this is something that, that gets you, the word is so, it's one of these massively overused, bit like hack. Um, and I think, Mm. There's always a particular image, I think, now that gets drawn. You say success. It's almost become, in some circles, a bit of a dirty word. But I kind of want to. I'm interested to get different people's perspective on how how you define success personally. For me, success is independence, and what I mean by that is the success for me is having the choice to do what I want to do in the way I want to do it, when I want to do it, and that just work. And so, um, for instance, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that, right? So obviously there's a financial component. You have to have the resources to do what you want to do, but there's also a mindset component. There's time components. There's all sorts of elements to that. But if you can get them all lined up, what I view as successful is that that ultimate freedom of movement at any time. So, I mean, the, to give you a real life example, um, while 2020 has been an absolute garbage fire, mm -hmm. I feel like in some ways it's been my most successful year yet because I was uh, going through this, I had a lot of crazy stuff happening in my personal life. I was going through this period being disconnected from my vocation and I just didn't want to work. And because I have the systems and the people and I've put in the time to get there, I was able to work about 30 minutes every other day for most of the year. Nice. Lovely and successful. I'm now working about, yeah, so it was awesome. Um, now, <laughs> I feel like, I feel I like that. To, and because awesome. I have other goals that I'm working. <laughs> well, now though, that's the thing. Now I'm working about 10 hour days, five days a week, something like that. And that feels equally successful to me because that's what I want to be doing right now. And so it's that freedom of choice. That's, you were able to recharge obviously you know you had the that's i think that's a great example because whatever for whatever reason you obviously needed that time to reset 
and mm. when you're when you're in a, a nine to five working for somebody else you don't i think a lot of people i think a lot of us go through that as, you know fairly regularly that feeling but you've got no choice right you're always on you're always on mm-hmm. i think being able to break right. out and escape and you know the, the the freedom angle of all of this is very is is the important part what does freedom look like to each person because it's different for everybody right but i think being able to have the choice i would agree feels like success to me mm-hmm. what other what uh, just before we wrap up um, uh, another th- thing i'm quite interested in is habits i love i, I i'm a creature of habit i grew up mm. for some reason habit stacking when i read james clear's book uh, atomic habits i suddenly realized i was like shit that's what i that's what i do <laughs> i i kind of i i tag things onto onto things <laughs> how 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 do you, how have you utilized habits in your own life you know good or bad i suppose more positive um to help you grow your business is, is, is have you been able to utilize kind of you know automatic almost automatic systems within yourself to to be able to because you've You've done quite a lot in a fairly short space of time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge habits uh, fan as well. BJ Fogg and I spend a lot of time together in my head, um, so I think about that a lot. Um, a couple of things I do. So I think of I think of habits as the building blocks that keep me resourced. And so I think of, I I reverse engineer from what resources I need to do what I need to do, and then figure out a habit to make sure that happens without me having to put a whole lot of executive function on it because that's tiring and I don't want to. So um, for instance, in terms uh, of health, right? Like I'm the CEO of this business. I've got clients depending on me. I've got people depending on me. I can't mess around with being healthy. So um, habits of, uh, I know it's such a little thing, but I drink four liters of water a day, like keeping really hydrated helps me out. And the habit cue for that is I've got my water bottle with me all the time. Um, and then I have, every time I get off a call, I look at the water bottle and say, okay, do I need to refill it? And chances are I do. So I, I'll do that. I also have habits around movement and exercise. And so um, one of my morning routine things is I get up and then I do some stuff. And then as part of that routine, like the end point of that before I jump into my day is I'll do a phone workout. And it's building that into the habit of the day and stacking that with habit triggers that keep me really resourced for doing that. Yeah, I've been as much as you can possibly build into habits because we're filling our time with habits all the time anyway. They're just not necessarily always serving us. We tend Mm. to doing, we all got habits that we do when there's, you know, inverted commas, nothing to do. Um, whatever we do in those scenarios <laughs> is a is a habit because that's what we we do we just fill our time. There is no such thing as empty time, and so it, being able to be mm-hmm. conscious of how we use our time and then add in those habits and get as much out of the way first thing in the day as possible is something that I've definitely learned because if you leave stuff to the end, you're too tired. And suddenly you have a choice <laughs> over whether oh, yeah. you do it or not. You've got the whole day to look forward to <laughs> or dread whatever it is you, you're supposed to do. And uh, if you can get as much out of the way in the morning, um, yeah, definitely. What's, what does your morning routine look like? So I will get up, uh, make coffee take some supplements. Um, I, one, one way that I know the coffee is good is when I sell myself on the product. So I was working for a probiotics company a couple of years ago and got completely like way down the scientific rabbit hole of probiotics and gut health. So that's always part of my routine. Um, I, uh, have my coffee. I'll journal a little bit. Um, I, I flirt with meditation. I really wanted to get on here and be like, I meditate religiously every morning, but that would be a lie because I don't but I would like to, um, I'm working up to that as a habit. And uh, then uh, I'm usually reading a book a little bit by the time I finish my coffee, journaling, it sort of moves in and out. One of those two things, either writing or reading. And then um, I'll get up, I'll do my workout. And then uh, I put on my grown up clothes and go to work. <laughs> Are you able to work in the office throughout all of the, everything that's been going on this year? Or have you been home quite a lot? Uh, I've actually never had an office. I've only ever worked at home. So 
uh, I'm at I'm at home. I've got my desk area set up, and um, it's my desk that I when I ended up moving from London five years ago, uh, I ended up donating everything, but I kept this one desk, and it had made it all the way across the Atlantic. <laughs> That's another interesting angle, and and something maybe we'll talk about again in the future. But being, you know, running your business virtually right so that, that's an interesting an interesting mm. angle that i think a lot of businesses have had to adapt to throughout this year but that's something you've you've always done mm -hmm. yeah see i would definitely come back and talk about that at some point because i think it's it's it, you know another another fear i, I think that. That people have of starting businesses is you know whether they can make it work by being remote and you know, hiring people that you you don't get to see straight away, you know, uh, from maybe from the other side of the country, mm. the other side of the world or, or whatever it is. Um, but, bef you know, we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. Where can people find you, Rachel? Uh, I am all over the Internet, so they can find me at my website, which is bolt from the blue copywriting uh, dot com. I am also on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash bolt from the blue copywriting and on Instagram at bolt from the blue copywriting. Amazing. Rachel, thank you very, very much. We've covered an awful lot um, in a fairly short space of time and I look forward to us speaking again. Absolutely. My pleasure. Can't wait. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to hear more similar episodes, head over to pocketmastermind.com where you'll also find the links mentioned in this conversation. And if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review. It will really help us to get our message out and let more people know about these episodes. So leave us a review, leave us a rating, hit the subscribe button and please share with your friends. Until next time, thank you again for listening.